The Linux Reality Podcast is sponsored by O'Reilly Media, spreading the knowledge of innovators through its books, online services, magazines, and conferences. Visit them today at O'Reilly.com. Welcome to Linux Reality. This is episode number 76, and my name is Chess Griffin. In this episode, we are going to talk about partitioning and file systems. And these are two topics that, you know, I've kind of hit on here and there um, throughout all the episodes from time to time. And it's pretty, you know, two pretty common topics, but I thought it might be helpful to kind of uh, sort of talk about them a little bit more in depth and that's sort of you know how to partition drive some of the issues involved with partitioning some of the things to think about as well as sort of a i guess sort of a high level view of, of a lot of the different kinds of file systems that are out there that can be used uh in linux and the nice thing about linux is that there are so many different file systems and actually it can get kind of confusing and overwhelming and you kind of say well which one should I choose? And, you know, so anyway, we'll talk about that. I do have a few amount, a uh, few announcements. Actually, these are really just reminders, nothing new. The first one is just wanted to mention again, this little contest we've got going for the uh, listener donated book, the LPI Linux certification in a nutshell. Uh, and the winner of this is going to be the best audio listener tip that's been submitted and played on the show between now and the end of November. So if you have a little tip, make it, you know, one to three minutes, maybe, uh, record it as an MP3 or an AUG and just email it to me, linuxreality at gmail.com. And, you know, just something really nice and concise and, you know, do, do try to make it, you know, pretty good quality, maybe record something and then just listen to it on your MP3 player or on your computer and just, you know, see how it sounds and try to play with the settings. I can try to clean up the audio a little, a little bit, but as I know, I've said very recently, I'm no audio engineer, so uh, don't count on me to be able to fix it. I can't always do that. So, uh, that's what that's going to, you know, the, the, uh, the best listener tip is going to get that book, uh, free of charge, free shipping right, right to you. So, the other thing I wanted to mention is I just wanted to mention again also the idea of having some guest podcasts. I've actually got several in the works. I've been talking to some people about that, so that's going to be very cool. If you have any ideas on something you'd like to cover, please feel free to email me. I will say this. I probably should have said this last time. I'm kind of, I would rather lean more towards um, tutorial-type topics as opposed to, you know, I've had a couple people say, well, how about if I talk about installing X distro or something? And, you know, I'm not going to say definitely not, uh, you know, that I don't want to do those, but I definitely would prefer to have sort of tutorial type topics, you know, as you know, my examples of podcasts covering Inkscape or the GIMP, that's just two examples, something along those lines and, and, you know, something that you can use to kind of talk for 10 to 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes tops to kind of educate me and everybody else. I think that would be very cool. So if you have any ideas, please shoot me an email and let me know. All right, that's going to get the announcements out of the way. Let's talk about our main subject, which actually two subjects, partitioning and Linux file systems. Okay, the idea of partitioning, really, this is going to be just kind of a, a free-flowing discussion on partitioning and kind of the way I approach partitioning. And 
it's certainly not the only way or the necessarily the best way. In fact, there's probably a lot better ways. But these are just some of the things I've come across and some things I wanted to mention. A few people have emailed me recently about this topic. So that's kind of what, what prompted me to think about talking about it. But what we're getting at is, you know, you've got a blank drive or maybe you've set aside some free space on a hard drive to install Linux on. And the question becomes, well, how do I partition that space with the different partitions that are available in the Linux file system? And, you know, thinking back to one of the very early episodes where I talked about the Linux file system, you know, we have all these different uh, directories in the root partition. You've got, you know, Etsy and home and USR and, and var and temp and all those kinds of different things. And, and so, you know, the question becomes, should I put them all on one partition on the hard drive? Uh, should I break them up into separate partitions? And what, what are some of the things to think about? Well, for me, what I've done is obviously you've got to create swap. You've got to create a separate swap partition. So, uh, what I have sometimes done is because I tend to move my disks around and move stuff around, I don't want swap stuck in a place where I can't do anything with it. So what I sometimes do is I sometimes put swap actually at the very front of my hard drive. So in the very first partition, and then that way I can, I can, you know, the rest of the drive, I don't need to worry about swap because you can use the same swap space if you have more than one distribution installed. And that's what I do. I have several different distributions installed on my computers and I just point to the same swap space. I mean, it's just swap space, swap space is sort of like, you know, extra hard drive space that the computer can use, uh, that the operating system can use if it needs to. Uh, so, uh, you can put swap wherever you want, and then I will create uh, different partitions for my Linux distributions. Now, what I tend to do is, and this is not always, but what I, what I tend to do is I tend to always keep my home partition on a separate partition. And that's because I like to use my same home in my multiple operating system, my, you know, my, my multiple installations. So for example, I've got on one of my computers, I've got two hard drives, you know, A and B, let's say, and A has all my different operating systems installed on it and the swap space and everything. And B is two big partitions, one for all my media and one for my home. And so in my, uh, in, when I install the different distributions on the A drive, I point to the home partition on the B drive as my home you know, for that particular distribution. And I, so I use the same home. Now you can run into issues with this sometimes because your home partition will have hidden files and hidden directories that for applications that may or may not exist between all your different, um, operating systems, all your different distributions. The other thing is some hidden files are obviously system settings. And so you may have the same system settings for different distributions and you may, you may want that. I mean, I actually want that, but other people don't want that. So, Let's say, for an example, you've got Ubuntu and Debian. Let's say, and you're so you're and you're using the same home partition. Well, in Debian, your your settings are going to have maybe the Debian wallpaper and the Debian theme and whatever. And if you use that same home for your Ubuntu install, you'll have the exact same settings, to a degree. And there may be some overlap and there may be some conflicting stuff in there. But by and large, I've never really had a problem with it. So I I like to keep my home on a separate partition. Plus, that way it makes it very easy to back up. And I can completely wipe out this A drive where I have all my operating systems if I want and start all over. And I've done that, actually. I don't have to worry about losing my home partition. Now, as far as partitioning other than the home, 
it really depends on what you're going to use a computer for. I mean, most of my workstations, for the most part, I tend to lump everything under one primary root partition other than home. Uh, so I will have really three partitions per Linux install, and it will be swap, and it will be my root partition, which is, you know, that slash, and home will be on a separate partition. For my servers, though, I definitely break it up into multiple partitions. And this is what I tend to do. This is obviously, you've still got swap. On some of my servers, I'll have a separate boot partition, and that's where your kernel is. And the idea there is that if you have a kernel problem or something like that, or maybe a file system problem, you can still boot, or you might be able to boot into some kind of rescue mode, and it won't necessarily destroy the rest of your install. But, but I don't always do that. But what I do always, almost always do is I will almost always have a separate USR partition, a separate VAR partition, and a separate temp partition. And the reasons for those is for USR, that's where all your system binaries and libraries are installed. And uh, someone recommended to do it that way to me one time with, with the thinking that is that if there's ever any kind of script or rootkit or something that ran wild under USR, it wouldn't fill up your entire hard drive. Um, same with var and temp. I mean, var has your system logs and that kind of thing. And if one of them runs wild and your system logs fill up with a bunch of stuff, it will fill up that partition and that partition will be full, but it won't spill over into the rest of your install. Likewise with temp, that, you know, temp is obviously temporary space that is generally deleted when you reboot, not always, but generally. But that's often a place, it, because temp directories often have world-writable per, uh, permissions, and that's debatable whether they should, but some I've often seen that to be the case. And so if systems, especially servers, could be exploited, you know, rootkits and other scripts are often placed in temp. So if you have temp in a separate partition, and again, if something runs wild and fills up your whole temp partition, it doesn't take over the rest of your um, operating system and the rest of your hard drive. Because Linux, like with most operating systems, doesn't run well when the hard drive is completely full. <laughs> so you don't really want to do that. Um, now, also along the lines of partitions, you've got to think about is, you know, primary partitions versus logical partitions. And really, if you're just going to stick with Linux, this is not really an issue. This sometimes becomes an issue if you want to use BSDs, because BSDs have a very different way of doing partitioning. BSDs need to be installed on a primary partition. But so you may say, well, that's very limiting because you can only have four primary partitions. But not really, because BSD calls partitions and slices. They use a term called a slice. They, they're They're sort of different. The idea is that you have one partition for BSD. Let's say it's the very first partition, your first primary partition using Linux terms, and you may make it 20 gigs. But then within that, you can, which is a slice is what it's called in BSD terms, you see have one slice that's got to be a primary partition in Linux terms. But then within that slice, you can have many BSD partitions. So you can essentially get to the same place, which is you can have many different partitions. You know, you can have more than four, in other words. Uh, so if you're going to be playing with BSDs, you do need to keep some, you, need, you do need to keep a primary partition open for BSD. Um, and I think, I'm not positive of this, but I believe that Windows likes to be installed in a primary partition as well. But that, I'm not as positive about that. I don't have Windows on any of my home computers, um, but I've heard that that's the case. 
Uh, but you know, but other than that, um, you know, there's not really much difference if you're just sticking with Linux, let's say, in dividing up your partitions between primary and logical, other than if you end up wanting to resize things, because I've had to resize partitions before, and it can get confusing, or the you know the drive can get confused if you're if you've got you know two or three primary partitions and a bunch of logical partitions, or one logical partition, and so you've got lots of extended partitions. I think that's the right terminology. And you delete one and you resize them, the numbering can change. It's kind of like in Windows where you have a C drive and a D drive, and you resize the D drive and you may have, I don't know, you know, it just kind of gets confused. So um, if you end up, if you think you're going to be doing a lot of resizing of partitions, I guess that may, you know, you may want to really think about that. And, you know, before you do it the first time, because I've really found that if you can stick with a set of partitions for a hard drive, even if you end up reinstalling Linux on top of thing, you know, on top of the partitions, that ends up working out much better than if you end up having to resize partitions. I mean, the resizing works pretty well in Linux, but as with, you know, a lot of things dealing with hard drives and hard drive geometry, it can get messed up and I've had it get messed up before. So, uh, so in a nutshell, that's kind of my general thinking about partitions. I mean, you know, for me, at least on a regular home PC, I tend to have a separate home partition and, uh, that I even have sometimes on a separate hard drive and then everything else under one single root partition. And of course, a swap partition as well. But on my servers, I have, at a minimum, I will have separate swap, uh, root partition, var, and temp. That's at a bare minimum. I definitely always put var and temp on separate partitions. Always, always, always. On all of my servers, I do that because, again, those are the partitions where stuff can get filled up very quickly. And then I will sometimes add USR and possibly boot on separate partitions as well. And it just really makes things easier down to, ma- to you know, to maintain and to upgrade. At least I have found so. Uh, but once you decide on a partition layout, then oftentimes another thing to think about is what file system to use. And the cool thing is in Linux, uh, you've got we've got lots of different file systems to play with. Now I haven't used all of these, but I've used a lot of them. I've done a you know a lot of research on this. I kind of wanted to talk at a high level about some of these, just to kind of give a you know a layman's um, perspective on these. Uh, the first two I'll kind of put together are EXT two and EXT three, the extended file system. EXT two was I think one of the original you know uh, you know early day file systems developed for Linux and and Unix like operating systems. I think it was developed in nineteen ninety three. It um, it is not a journaled file system, and I'll talk about journaling in a second. Uh, but the great thing about EXT2 is that it's it's a very stable technology. It's been around, you know, what fifteen years or something. Um, it's forward compatible to EXT3 and EXT4, which is the new version of EXT. There are drivers for Windows, for BSDs, I believe, for the Mac. It's, you know, for, for read and write support. So, yeah, you can have, you know, an EXT2 partition that can be read and written to from within Windows. There is a Windows driver that's available for EXT2. Uh, so it's very stable, you know, very well known. Everybody's kicked the tires and there's nothing, no real surprises there. I guess the downsides are that it's not journaled and that it tends to be slow. It's a little bit of a slower file system. 
Uh, EXT3 is really just like EXT2, except it adds journaling for the most part. That's the main difference. EXT3 came out in 2001. It is backwards compatible to EXT2, so it can read and write to EXT2, and EXT2 forward can, is forward compatible to EXT3. The journaling is kind of neat. Now, I, you know, I'm not a file system guy, so I probably won't get this exactly right. But, but basically, journaling is a mechanism whereby the file system kind of creates some kind of log of changes that are being written to the disk or that are about to be written to the disk, such that if there's any kind of hard drive crash or issue or something, that the hard drive can recover either the data or the lost sectors and it can, you know, it makes it, it, it's, it's a maintenance thing and it makes the drive and the file system that much more stable and reliable. Uh, so ext three adds this journaling feature to the extended file system. Uh, I tend to use ext three in, in almost all of my systems. I've, I used to use riser FS, which I'll talk about in a minute, but many years ago I switched to ext three and I've just, that's what I've always stuck with. I really like it. It similarly with ext two, I think some critics say it's a little bit slow. I think one of the other issues with it is that, and, and I don't know if this is unique to ext, but the, you cannot check the file system while it's being mounted, uh, you know, for write access. I think you've got to mount the, the, the file system read only to do a file system check or, you know, upon boot before it's mounted, you can of course do a file system check. You can't do a file system check while the, the partition is mounted with write privileges. I'm pretty sure that's that's correct. Uh, but I really like ext3 because again, it's pretty much tried and true, and it's pretty standard everywhere. And even though the the driver that's available in Windows and BSD and other operating systems is technically only ext2, because it's that's forward compatible, you can in Windows, let's say, you can mount. Uh, an ext3 partition for read and write access it's just that it will not have the journaling feature because that was really the primary difference between ext2 and ext3 same with the bsds the bsds can mount any an extended uh, file system ext3 just fine and can read and write to it just fine it's just that it won't be journaled those changes i guess um, riser fs is a newer file system came out in 2001 and it also adds journaling, and its biggest claim to fame or its biggest feature is that it tended to be much faster, especially when dealing with lots of small files. I've read that, you know, Riser FS is good for a lot of servers that deal with a lot of small files, maybe, maybe email servers or other kind of servers where you're dealing with a lot of little data, little bits and pieces all over the place. I think Riser is supposed to be very good at that kind of thing. Uh, as I said, I used to use riser quite a bit and it was, I never had any problems with it. I have heard a lot of people say that they have had issues with riser, especially with the file system check that it tends to fail or if it gets corrupted when doing a file system check, that that can be really bad. It's just other people have told me that they have not found it to be as reliable as other file systems. I never had that problem, but you know, for whatever that's worth, uh, I'm going to put links to the Wikipedia articles on all these file systems because it's really interesting reading. Uh, the next one I thought I'd mention is XFS. And XFS is a uh, file system created by Silicon Graphics for their IRIX operating system. This was released in 1994, and it was GPL'd in 2000. Um, they say that this is the oldest journaling file system, which I did not realize. 
and then it's a 64-bit file system. It seems to have a lot of features, a lot of interesting things like sort of online resizing, and apparently it's got some kind of native backup and restore tools. Uh, so it sounds like it's got you know it's got some some neat things. Some of the some of the disadvantages are that I've heard is that it, you cannot shrink an XFS file system and that there are some compatibility issues with some, with other operating systems, meaning that you may have XFS support in different Unix-like operating systems, but they're not all exactly the same, par for par, feature for feature. And so you may have, if you've got a single partition that's being accessed by different operating systems, there may be some trouble there. But I've never really used XFS. So I've heard a lot of people say that XFS is great and very fast for large data blocks, especially like audio and video, that kind of stuff is really good with XFS. I'm, I'm not positive of this, but um, there may be some issues with XFS in terms of, of a boot partition or maybe a root partition. I don't know. I've heard that, and it could be simply that because XFS support is usually not built into the kernel. And so you've either got to have a RAM disk to load the XFS module. That Maybe that's what the issue is. But um, I know a lot of people swear by XFS. And then the last um, primary operating system that I'll mention before getting on to some of the newer ones is JFS. And, and JFS is also not one that I've uh, tried. Apparently, it was developed by IBM for AIX in 1990. But it seems like it's never really caught on. In fact, some of the stuff I was reading saying that it, that there are some distributions that don't even support it at all. Um, so, you know, it, it could be something to try out. It does seem neat, and it does seem like it has a lot of um, interesting features, but that's one I've never used. Uh, some of the new file systems, and these are really just up. To, some of these are just updates. You know, as I mentioned, you know, EXT4 uh, came out late last year, 2006. It, it was included in um, the 2.6.19 Linux kernel, and just as with other versions of, of EXT, it is backwards compatible. So if you've got ext3 it can read and write to ext4 and vice versa and it just seems to add a lot more you know maybe some extended features a lot more stability and it just seems like it's going to be the good old standard you know reliable ext file system i haven't yet had an opportunity to play with ext4 uh, but i've heard that now some distributions are starting to include it because it's still relatively new I mean, the 2.6.19 kernel is not that old, and, and um, you know a lot of distributions just came out with 2.6.20 or 21, so I think we're going to be seeing a lot of EXT4 over the next uh, year or two. Riser FS4 or Riser 4 is the new version of the Riser file system. It's not yet included in the Linux kernel, so I don't think anybody's really using it, and it... You know, you may have heard there's been some legal issues for Hans Riser, who is the main developer, that may or may not affect RiserFS. It shouldn't. I mean, it's an open source project, so there there are other developers, but um, that still, you know, that still seems to be a little bit out there and up in the air. And the last one that I thought I'd mention is ZFS. And now ZFS is really interesting. It's developed by Sun for Solaris. They released it under the CDDL, which is another open source uh, license. It's not the GPL. Uh, it's not the BSD license. It's the CDDL. And I'll talk about, and there's an issue with the license I'll mention in a minute, but some of the cool things about it, it's very different from what I understand. And I've just started really learning about it, but it's a 128 bit file system. It uses this idea of, of, of pools where you don't have separate partitions. It's kind of like one pool of, of, you know, hard drive space that in, 
software land, if you will, you can then allocate to different partitions if you in within the file system, which means that you can very inst, you know you can almost instantaneously just from the command line, I imagine, resize and, and change the, the partitions. So you don't need to ever actually worry. It's almost like it does away with the idea of partitions. Um, so you don't ever have to worry about a partition running out of space and having too much space in another partition because you just, on the fly, could reallocate space. Something along those lines. It sounds really cool, <laughs> um, but I you know, uh, I haven't used it yet. So it's still very new. Uh, it's, it, it has been included now in FreeBSD. It cannot, from what I understand, it cannot be included in the Linux kernel at all because of the license. Now, I think the way they're getting around that is that, um, there's a module for ZFS that uses the fuse file system that we talked about before, which is a, basically a user space file system. I've talked about SSHFS, which is SSH file system using fuse it creates a file system out of SSH. Well, they're using the same technology for ZFS, from what I understand. Reading about ZFS usage in FreeBSD, one thing I've noticed is that apparently it uses it needs a lot of RAM to really get going. And I mean, I've heard people say it needs at least two gigs of RAM to be able to use all of its features. Uh, so that that's going to knock it out of the park. I mean, make it you know out of the question for a lot of people that don't have that, that much RAM, but. It seems like a very cool and a very modern and a very you know unique upper, uh, file system. So I can't wait to try it. I've I've got my free BSD box and I'm really sorely tempted to to update to it because on that particular machine I do have two gigs and there's some excellent instructions out there on how to get ZFS up and running on FreeBSD. So I think a lot of people are using it. It sounds very cool. So. Anyway, that's sort of my little discussion on partitioning and file systems and all that cool stuff. I think there's a lot of neat information. And as I said, I'll put links to these file systems in the show notes, the Wikipedia pages, because those are really some, some, some great reading. I mean, I definitely encourage folks to check that out if you have any interest in this whatsoever. So I think with that, we're going to check out uh, some audio feedback. We've got one audio feedback, and I've got some emails as well. Hey, Jeff. This is Jeff. I'm calling out of New York City, Astoria, and I'm a fairly new uh, Linux user. Um, I am wondering, I have an idea for a show. Um, I'm curious what other people do with repurposed old machines. They put Linux on and use it for like one single purpose. Um, I started using mine. I started using a machine that I use like to record radio shows off, you know, late night radio shows like Coast to Coast or whatever, um, so that you can record it and then put it on your iPod or whatever. Um, so I'm betting there's like a hundred other things that people do, and I'm just wondering what it is that else people do. Um, you know, I'm sort of addicted now to buying $20 penny and threes, and, uh, you know, I have like five of them sitting next to me, and I'm thinking about different things I can do with them. So... Anyway, I'm just kind of curious what other people do with them. So uh, that's it. Um, yeah, whatever. Okay, keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. Okay, well, good, uh, good audio comment there. Good question. I would first uh, recommend you go back and maybe listen to the home server series. I had sort of 10 episodes there talking about home servers because there's a lot of good ideas in there, I think. From what I've heard, I can talk about what I've used. I use some of those type machines 
for, I mean, I've got a Pentium 3 as well, and I love that machine. It's like a Pentium 3, 750 megahertz, I think. Um, I added some RAM. I added a hardware RAID card and a couple hard drives. And so that computer is my file server, my music, and my music server for the most part. It does some backups as well. Uh, but, I mean, a lot of people use those old servers as you know, as, as music servers, I think they, they work really well for that as file servers, as print servers, um, you know, some, you know, email servers. I think those are perfect for that. Even if you don't want to have a full fledged email server, you can have the kind of email server that I talked about during that one email server episode. Uh, there's just a whole bunch of stuff you people could use, you know, that you could use that for. You can make an asterisk box out of it, you know, which is an, uh, open source PBX software, very cool stuff. Um, but really the sky's the limit as to what you could do. Um, you can have, you know, uh, FTP server, BitTorrent, um, all kinds of stuff. I mean, it really is, it really is, you know, there's so many different things that, that Linux can do on those kinds of machines, uh, that, you know, I love those kinds of Pentium threes because they're, they are so cheap and they're so versatile and especially, you know, at least the ones I've come across, I've got mine is an old Dell. I mean, it was built in like 1998. So it's almost a 10 year old machine. And that thing is just a workhorse. I mean, that thing will probably last forever as long as I keep it fairly clean. You know, I think I had to replace the power supply once I, you know, I threw in some new Ram, I threw in some hard drives, but I mean, that thing is just going to truck forever, I think. And those, those kinds of machines are just fantastic for all that kind of stuff. So uh, you know, just play around. I mean, just read up on different kinds of Linux servers and have fun. Let's see. I got an email here from Gabriel. Gabriel says, hi, first of all, I want to say thanks for your podcast and for keeping it so great after so much time. I was a podcaster myself, but retired because it was too much work and I really don't have all that much free time. So I decided to stop. So I know how much work podcasting really is and how much of a bitch it can be sometimes, but you clearly demonstrates that it's all worth it in the, in, at the end of the day. Anyway, straight to my question. I've always wondered why companies like Adobe don't release their software for Linux. Is it really such a pain to change a software from a platform to another platform? Or is it that Microsoft creates some kind of deal with them to develop exclusively for Windows? Although Adobe releases their software for Mac, too. And that leads to my next question. Isn't there more Linux users than Mac users? Then why the heck software companies don't develop software for Linux? Well, that was all. It's just that I've looked up for this info on the internet and haven't found all that much info. Well, thanks and keep up the good work. Oh, and thank you most of all for showing me the free software world in the first episodes. At first, I tried Ubuntu because of Barrel, but I've stayed because of the free software philosophy and because it is just plain way more cool and exciting than Windows or Mac. All right. Well, thanks, Gabriel. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I don't know if there are more Linux users than Mac users. I, I think that's debatable. Um, but you know, why third-party softwares don't release their, uh, or third-party companies don't release their software for, for Linux, they probably just don't feel there's a market for it. When you're talking about proprietary companies like Adobe and Microsoft, they just feel that they're not going to get a return on their investment, I would imagine, that they just, you know, whatever the numbers are, they think they're not going to sell enough copies of Photoshop, let's say, to make it worth their while. And I think it can be difficult to port software uh, you know, oftentimes when you're dealing with different GUI toolkits and different frameworks for, you know, if, let's say it's an, let's say it's an application that does audio where you're going to have different audio subsystems on different operating systems. And, 
it's yeah i mean it's going to be it's not just a simple recompile i don't think uh so i do believe that there's a fair amount of work involved and it's even more so when you're dealing with things like games and stuff like that but anyway it is frustrating it is frustrating and i think we just have to keep demanding companies release their software and tell them that uh we will support it and i think you know i've never really gotten into this but i do think it's important that when a company does take a step in this regard to support them and to buy the software, frankly. I mean, free software is not about cost. It, it isn't. And I know you didn't say that it was. And I, you know, I, I, but some people think that it is. Some people think that free software is meaning is about getting stuff without paying for anything. And maybe that's a side advantage, but that's not what free software is all about. And so, I mean, I, you know, for me personally, at least, I'm happy to pay for software that I think is good and quality and that I will use. I'd prefer it to be free software, but I'll pay for free software, and I have. And so if companies decide to port their software to Linux, I hope that Linux users will decide to support them by buying it, because that's what will lead to more decisions to port software to Linux. Okay, here's an email from Curtis. Curtis says, hello, Chess. I just wanted to say thanks for a great podcast series. I found your site via another Linux podcast I was listening to, Going Linux. I think it is neat how people at one website will mention and recommend others. It helps a new Linux user like myself expand my knowledge. I'm starting at the beginning and listening to them in order. Keep up the good work. I do have one question, which you may have already addressed. What do you think of Xandros? I seldom see any mention of it. However, over the past nine months, I downloaded 10 to 12 distros and only bought one, Xandros. In my opinion, it is the easiest for a newbie to set up and do everything I want, i.e. listen to MP3 podcasts, look at PDF documents, install a video card driver. Thanks for a podcast designed for newbies. From Curtis. Well, thanks, Curtis. Yeah, um, Xandros is good. I just haven't really used it all that much. So that's that's the main reason why I haven't addressed it. I know a lot of people really like it. Um, they were one of those companies that signed this deal with Microsoft, so they've unfortunately got you know got some flack for that. Um, but I have heard a lot of good things about it. I know they have a, a very unique file, file manager, which is, um, I think, Conqueror, but with a lot of built-in code to it to make it very much like Windows and make it very easy to connect with Windows Active Directory shares and all this kind of stuff. So I think they really focus on sort of business interoperability between Linux and, and Windows and uh, they make it, you know, from what I understand, very easy. I mean, it's based on Debian, just like Linspire and Ubuntu were or are. And so I've heard nothing but good things about Xandros, but I just haven't had a chance to play with it too much. So, um, but thanks very much for your email, Curtis. And let's see, last email for this week is from JR, a very short and sweet one. He just says, thanks for a rocking show. I look forward to saying hi at the Ohio Linux Fest. So thanks, JR. I look forward to seeing you and everybody else out at the Ohio Linux Fest as well. I think with that, that's going to do it for this week, so it's time to wrap it up. Okay, well, that's going to do it for me for this week. I had a little discussion here about partitioning and file systems. I hope you found that helpful and uh maybe we can talk about it some more in the forums and speaking of the forums please check it out linuxreality.com slash forums very nice people in there very good discussions very cool stuff so i look forward to seeing you there uh, you can also contact me by email linuxreality at gmail.com 
And you can also send me uh, an audio comment either as an attachment to an email or by using one of the Linux, or sorry, the listener hotlines that are available at linuxreality.com slash contact. I think until uh, next time, um, I, I hope to be able to keep up this you know weekly um, schedule. As I said, uh, I think last week that I may be kind of in and out. You know, we're in the process of doing stuff with our house and trying to get it on the market, and so who knows what my schedule will be. But I do plan on still putting out one a week as best I can. So thanks for tuning in and for uh, staying subscribed. Hope you all have a good week and a good weekend, and I will catch you all next time. This has been Episode 76 of Linux Reality. See you later. Bye-bye.